0: What to do in difficult times like these, next on Abounding Grace. You see, you're living in a difficult time. I don't need to convince you of that. It's super
1: challenging. Freedoms are being taken away. Difficulties are being laid at our our doorstep. Jobs are disappearing. Like, it's a difficult time. It's not a time to throw our hands up in hopelessness. It's not a time to retreat and run away. It's a time to move forward in the grace and the power and the authority and the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. That you might be able to stand for what's important to you in your relationship with Jesus. That you might be a demonstration as we prayed earlier of the fruit of the Spirit flowing through your life.
0: This is amazing grace. Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado comes Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you were to describe all that we've experienced this year, perhaps you'd choose the words challenging, difficult, or unbearable. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor recalls a period in Elijah's life that could be described as very difficult as well. But he had an amazing confidence in God through it all. And we should too in our day. Let's be encouraged by what God has to say to us in part three of Understanding the Times. There's another
1: prophecy, you know. It's predicted that many people today say is absolutely impossible, never will happen. Can't happen, never in a million years can't happen, and that's the rebuilding of the temple. There is a th- another temple existing in the Great Tribulation period. But if you walk the stairs with us on the Temple Mount, you'll see there's no temple there today. Instead, there's a large building there with a golden dome. There's actually two large buildings on the Temple Mount, and they're both mosques. And the Jordanian authorities have uh, oversight of the Temple Mount. And in order for a temple to be rebuilt, either A, it needs to be built next to the Dome of the Rock there, or the Dome of the Rock has to disappear. <laughs> and you know, with all the tensions going on between uh, the, the Muslims and, and Israel, it is an impossibility, humanly speaking. But God keeps His prophecies. He keeps His promises. And it's gonna happen. And there are people planning today for it to happen. And so here's the, here's the controversy. We're not gonna get deep into it, but in verse 34, the controversy is over this word generation. Because he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things take place. So generation has been debated on what exactly is Jesus teaching here. The word generation usually refers to a national kind, uh, an ethnic group in the Scriptures. So what I believe Jesus is prophesying is that the Jews would not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. That the Jewish nation in fact remains today and stands as a miracle of what God can do. No other ethnic group ever has been able to maintain its national identity without a national homeland for more than five generations. And so the prophecy of Jesus is fulfilled and we're in the process of seeing them fulfilled now. The fig tree is budding, summer is near, even at the doors. And even as I recognize that there's a lot of disagreement over this section, I think the thing we need to agree on when we're finding common ground in some of these disagreements, secondary disagreements, especially prophetically, eschatologically, is we need to find out what we can agree on, and I think everyone can agree on that Jesus Christ is coming again soon. And that's what we hold on to, and that's what changes our lives, and that's what gives us a biblical, heavenly perspective. That's what puts our citizenship and heaven at a higher priority than our citizenship on earth. Notice verse 35. He says, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And to me, that's a very comforting sentence. Because Jesus himself was confident in his own words. I know, we recognize this as we read through the scriptures, you even see it probably in your Bible, there's red letters there. Whenever you see red letters, you know you're quoting Jesus Christ. The translators did that for us so that we could recognize very quickly at a glance that the red letters represent the very words of Jesus. And we also know and are convinced that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. So it makes sense. Like there's, there's a part of us that we're like, well of course he would believe that. But Jesus was also fully human, and as He spoke in His humanity, He was confident in His words, confident in the words of the Old Testament which He taught and quote many times, and confident in the infallibility of the Bible as a whole, the inerrancy of the Scriptures, how it, they will last. There are those even listening to me right now, maybe scanning through the dial on the radio, going, oh, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, Jesus believed in the Bible. He believed in the Scriptures. He, he believed in the Scriptures so much that He said, you know what? The Scriptures, the Word of God, my words, will outlast creation. The heaven and the earth will pass away, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, my Word of God will stay and be and is eternal you know, there is much to be said. There's a lot of translations today, a lot of different interpretations. You know, if uh, we just dropped down onto the earth and we surfed the internet and saw all the people arguing and all the confusion on YouTube and why do you believe that and why do you do that and why do you use this scripture? It seems like from an outsider's perspective that the church today is very fractured. Uh, that the church today has, you know, if they can't, it, it's almost like if they can't, if somebody looks at the church and they go, they can't get along with each other, why would I join a group that doesn't even know how to get along with each other? And they argue about this, and they argue about that, and they don't like this, and some people have, you know, very liberal theology, so there's some weird stuff happening under the banner of church. There are cults that have adopted the word church, and it could be very, very confusing. And in times of confusing, I just come back to the simple teaching. Jesus said His Word will not pass away, that His Word is trustworthy, that He Himself was confident in His Word. And one of the things that will be shared with you, no doubt, as you talk to people about the Bible, they'll say, well, you know, I don't, I don't even agree with the Bible, because you might give them a Bible as a gift, you get them a Bible that's easy to understand, and then they get into all this, well, what translation, and why this translation, you know, whatever, quick Google search, and it all, they're upset. And then what they'll say is, well, you know what, I don't understand, I don't, I don't believe in the Bible because it's full of contradictions. Anybody ever hear somebody say that to you? Anyway, Full of contradictions. Yeah, I'm going to train you how to handle that without being defensive and all upset. All you need to do is say, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, yeah, so many of them. Let's look at one. Show me one, and put it back on them. Show me a contradiction. Show me what you're talking about. Give me the exact—well, you you know, I I don't remember, I I don't know, but I'll get back to you. Okay, get back to me. Let's give it a week. Let's talk about it in a week. I want you to give me a contradiction, and you go, wait a minute, Ed. What if they bring back a contradiction? What am I going to do then? Well, you're going to email Pastor Ian because he loved—no, I'm just kidding. Here's, here's what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to study the Bible to show yourself approved. And I want to recommend a book to you that you can get that will help you with all the supposed contradictions. It's thick because there's quite a bit of accusations against the Scriptures, but here's the value of purchasing a book like this and just kind of reading it every once in a while. Just looking at different, different ways that people say the Bible contradicts. And that is, not only will you learn some of these for yourself, but you'll learn how to think and how to study through to verify the truthfulness of the Bible. Here's the book. It's not in print anymore, so you've got to get a used copy or an electronic version. It's called When Critics Ask. When Critics Ask, and the author is Norman Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R. Now I know this may not apply to everyone, but for those of you that want to take this step into studying, get this book, and maybe even use it for a month for your devos. And you're just looking at what different people say, pick your favorite book of the Bible and just go through what people say about your favorite book of the Bible. And you begin to learn that not everything that appears to be a contradiction is a contradiction at all. Like, like for example, some would say, well, you know, in this version of the gospel it says two people were there, and then this gospel says one people were there. Ha-ha! Contradiction. Well, no, no, not at all. Because wherever two people are, there's always one person. So one gospel emphasized two people, another gospel emphasized one, but the gospel that emphasized one didn't say there was only one, it just highlighted one. So wherever there are two, there's going to be one. And so you can pray that the contradiction they bring is that one. <laughs> because as you share explanations for people, remember you're not trying to win an argument. You're looking to be used by God to win a soul. And so you're not trying to be like, oh, oh, oh give me, just bring them, bring them, bring them, bring them. Because I just you wouldn't tell them yet because I got this book, man. So bring them all, bring them all. I'm ready for you. No, no, no. No, you want to slowly, oh, that, that's interesting. How did you find that? how did you pick that up? Did you read through all the Gospels? That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. I'm glad that you read through the Bible. So let's talk about this. So this guy, Matthew, said two, and John said one. So that's a contrary. Of course, one said two, and the other said one. He said, well, let's, let's consider that for a second. And you began to explain to them, and they, you can see in people's eyes, they're like, ah, oh, never thought of it that way before. And that's really the pathway you're taking someone. You're wanting them to approach the Bible this way. I never thought about that before. I never saw it that way before. And you're planting that seed or watering that seed. Instead of just getting all defensive, because I know it's defensive, oh, you're undermining my faith and you're accusing my Jesus. Look, God doesn't need you to defend Him. He doesn't need you to defend the Bible. But it is good to have an answer for the hope that lies within you. The Bible says, be ready with an answer for the hope that lies within you, and that book will be greatly helpful when it comes, because Jesus was confident in His Word, and He said so. Now, in our final minutes today, I, wanna, I want an action in our lives. And, and I was reminded of Elijah. So come back to 1 Kings chapter 18 with me, would you? I was reminded of Elijah as I was… Over uh, editing these notes and putting them together, that phrase, that division, and that phrase faltering, and how long will you waver between two opinions popped up. And I'm like, yeah, I remember. That was Elijah. The confidence that Elijah had in a very difficult time. You see, you're living in a difficult time. I don't need to convince you of that. It's super challenging. Freedoms are being taken away. Difficulties are being laid at our, at our doorstep. Jobs are disappearing. Like, it's a difficult time. It's not a time to throw our hands up in hopelessness. It's not a time to retreat and run away. It's a time to move forward in the grace and the power and the authority and the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. That you might be able to stand for what's important to you in your relationship with Jesus. That you might be a demonstration, as we prayed earlier, of the fruit of the Spirit flowing through your life. And Elijah had this confidence standing before the king of of the known world, the king of Israel, Ahab. And those of you that were with us not too long ago, we studied through the life of Elijah. Fascinating. But pick up with me in verse 17, really in verse 16 of 1 Kings chapter 18. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all the Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel." Those of you that are paying attention to our current crisis as it relates to the COVID may have picked up on this. If you haven't, I'm going to fill you in. The most dangerous place for a person to be right now, according to the government, uh, in order to catch this virus is in a bar. They've highlighted bars to be the most dangerous place because uh, of the close confines and how everybody's sitting together. They have their reasons. Number two on that list might surprise you. It's not Coors Field or Mile High Stadium, whatever the, new, uh, whatever the new sponsor is, Mile High Stadium. Uh, it, it's not uh, out on a protest in front of a government building. You want to know what number two on the list is? Churches. This is the most dangerous place according to our government. The most dangerous place. And they have no problem declaring this is a dangerous place. And I want to remind you, under the authority of God's Word, and I'll get this to you, get the principle to you in a second, but I want to remind you and and thank you for taking the extra steps you've been taking so that we can be above reproach, because I believe on the authority of God's Word, that this is not the second, or the first, or the third, or the tenth most dangerous place in our city. It is the place where the most loving, caring people commune for a short amount of time under great restrictions in order to be a blessing in the community. I believe that. So that when somebody comes and says, you troubler of Israel, you troubler of Aurora, you troubler of Denver, you come back and say, I'm not troubling you. I have this city's peace on my heart. I I have the love of God in uh, my—I live and I speak for us as a church. We live many times a great sacrifice to love this city, to care for this city, to adjust our lives and adjust ourselves in order to have the gospel flow through us. So you think, you know, poor Elijah called a troublemaker. Churches are being called troublemakers too. And I don't think it's the first time and I don't think it's the last time. And what we need to do is we need to respond with Elijah. We just need to say, hey, look, I know you, you, you have a bad opinion of me. You call me a troublemaker. But, but what we answer is, I've made no trouble. You know, we can say with authority, I've made no trouble for Aurora. I've made no trouble for Denver or Colorado. We've a- we actually have the exact opposite motive. We, we want to be a blessing and an encouragement. We want to help. We want to give and not take. Elijah was sent from God. You know, if there's any trouble, (laughs) you you know, there's some principles here uh, that, that can be seen here, but if there was any trouble, God sent Elijah to be a troublemaker for Ahab, to stir him up. He was not living in obedience or surrender to God. So I guess if you are gonna call Elijah a troublemaker, you could say Elijah was sent by God to stir up Ahab and get his attention, to get Jezebel's attention to turn their hearts back toward the Lord. So he calls the prophets together, it says, and he says in verse 20 now, Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. And so I say this as we head out today, it's one of those Bible studies you want to deliver on a weekend. I want everyone to be here except that most people are online so they can catch it at a later day. But I ask you this question, church, how long will you hobble between two opinions? How much longer will you waver? How much longer will you be double-minded in your relationship with God? How much longer will you be in a place of uns- instability and uncertainty, of all that God has shown you thus far? I mean, you're thinking of all the things we're experiencing, all the stuff that's happening around the world. You look at what's happening in our culture, you look at all that, like you, 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 you're, you're still yet unconvinced. If, if all you had was the rebirth of the nation of Israel, wouldn't that be enough? Just the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, wouldn't that just be enough? But God has been patient, God has been merciful, God has loved this church, He's patient with us, and now we come here today in this time, on this day, at this hour, at this moment, how long are you going to waver? How much longer will you live a wavering life, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. I don't know anybody that would say, if I ask that question, if the Lord is God, follow him. If, do, does everybody think the Lord is God? Amen! Yes! Then follow him. And Jesus gave very clear instructions, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow him. Of course, if you think somebody else, your idolatry, your own, your own agenda, you know, your pursuit of whatever it is, if you think like Baal, if you think that's your God, then follow him and it brought silence. You see, at this time, if to worship God, you could lose your life for it, literally. You could do something that the king and queen didn't want you to do, they would off with your head. So you chose to worship the false idols. And here we find the people are afraid to stand up and be counted, but we don't want to be those people. We want to stand up. We don't want to falter. We don't want to waver. We don't want to hobble. We want to be men and women that live with the kingdom of God in mind. And I was reading, meditating this week in the teachings of Jesus, and something struck me. I knew, you know, it's it's the truth you probably know too, but the verse struck me, and I posted it when I read it, and that is, Jesus said so clearly, He couldn't have been more clear in the English, in the Greek, the Aramaic, doesn't matter how He says it. He said that His kingdom is not of this world, that's what He said, His kingdom is not of this world. That's the priority of Jesus. It, it's not this world. This world is a vehicle and a tool to usher people into the higher kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. I just want you to know, he doesn't, God isn't desiring you to hobble or, walt, or waver or, or hobble any longer, to falter and to be caught between two opinions. If you believe God is God then let it be lived out in your life. you believe you're living in the last days, then let it move you. If you believe Jesus Christ is coming soon, then let that glorious hope of heaven transform you from the inside out. Stop wasting your time on things that are worldly, worldly. There's a lot of things that are worldly that you may not think are worldly. Just ask your question, ask the question, does this help further the kingdom of Christ? And you'll know the answer is yes, when it's not of this world. (laughs) And may the Lord encourage us and strengthen us, you know, because a lot of people try to live in two worlds. A lot of people try to live, you know, you you have a spiritual kind of a Sunday church life. You want, you know, you you desire, I want my name written in the book of life. I don't want to go to hell, you know. But then they live for this world every moment of every day, and they're caught up in the things of this world, and they become a compromiser, and they become weakened in their faith. They were running up at the beginning of the, of the finish line was right up ahead, and then they took a detour. And so as you're studying through, and we'll have another week at least in Matthew 24 soon enough. And and as we're studying through, and we're the end times, the end times are like, okay, what's the action? What's God calling me to do? And tonight, God is saying, if you are wavering, and faltering, and hobbling between two opinions, if you believe God is God, then choose to follow Him.
0: Amen. Make the choice to follow Jesus, and you'll never regret it. Well, we've been in the book of Daniel today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he's the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, This would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We've made it possible to donate online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. Pastor Ed, we are here on the final day of 2020, and what a year it's been. As you look back on all that's transpired this past year, what are some of the key developments from your perspective in the realm of Bible prophecy?
1: Well, I have to say, Larry, this question could yield a couple days' worth of programming all on its own. Whether we look at some historic peace treaties signed with Israel— or we see the effects of government overreach and being able to take control of the populace in just a short amount of time. Uh, whether we see the the prelude of what the mark of the beast might look like, how the how fear mongering and um, and real concern can be turned around to be used as a control. I mean, the greatest thing I think developed in Bible prophecy has been the faithfulness of God, no matter what's happening. Many times we forget that the overarching principle of Bible prophecy is the God who gave it. And we can get caught up in all the predictions, we can get caught up in all of the perceived fulfillments, but the reality is, is that there is prophecy, but more importantly, there's the God of prophecy. And because there's a God who prophesies, There's a God who keeps his word. And we want to look to the God who keeps his word and keeps his promises. And I know 2020 has been one of those years uh, like no other. However, 2020 has been a year where we could seek the Lord like no other. I know my own personal faith has been strengthened. I know that God has been uh, revealed as more faithful to me. I mean, not like he didn't grow in faithfulness, but I've seen more of his faithfulness. And I mean... The, the reality of prophecy being fulfilled, whether it be Ezekiel or hints of revelation or what it's going to look like uh, as prelude to the Antichrist or many Antichrists, according to 1 John, on and on the list goes. But whatever, that, whatever those may be, keep your eyes on the God of
0: prophecy. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Come on back tomorrow as we kick off a new year and present another study in Ed Taylor's series, Understanding the Times. That's Friday on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.